encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Welcome in, listeners, to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, uh, joined by just Polly Questel today, and uh, we're going to talk about the Manchester Derby. Polly, um, how's your how's your Monday been, apart from, like, you know, Monday work? It's been a lot of Monday work, which I think probably yeah. a good thing, because it, yeah. it's been so, it's been extra Monday today which I think has made it easier to, to not dwell on the Manchester door. To not dwell on, let's let's call a spade a spade here, to not dwell on everything. I think in in general, I had the worst sports weekend of my life. Really? Well, you factor in the, like, the Mets went with, and all they needed to do was go to Atlanta and win one game, and they got swept. And yeah. they're not going to win the division. And United got destroyed in the Manchester Derby. Like, there have been lower points, certainly. But, like, in terms of a full weekend, that's probably the worst one you could have. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, because the Jets won on the road against, yeah. you know, the Steelers. Well, wow, but... they're 2-2. Two and two. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, not not a great weekend. Um. I mean, kind of opposite for me is I was at the Mississippi State game on uh, Saturday when ranked Texas A&M came to town and we just totally smacked them, uh, which was really fun. And uh, my voice is really scratchy because I was yelling so much. And then the very next morning, just a, a very humbling awakening. Uh, no, one, no one cares how awesome your life is right now, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I, I had to wake up at 8 a.m. to watch Manchester United concede six goals to uh, Manchester City, led by a forward who United uh, tried to sign once and um, now gets to go to City for, what was it, $60 million and just probably break every Premier League goal-scoring record in existence. Did, didn't we discuss this on the last podcast, though? Like We've discussed this on pretty much every podcast. So how, like, had, you, had United signed him for the deal that... Um, that, that Mino and his father... Yeah. yeah. He, like, had they had done that in 2020, part. then Erling Holland would have scored a hat-trick for Manchester City in the Manchester Derby yesterday. Yeah. But, I mean... It's still bad. You know what's worse? He's not even like an asshole. Yeah. So this- literally, he is just this freak. And, and like I read a tweet about it that literally summed it up perfectly. Was yeah, he goes hard into like aerial duels, and then after that, nothing. Like he just walks around with a smile on his face. Like yeah. he's not vicious. He's not dirty. He doesn't do he's he doesn't do any shit housing. He just like runs around. And scores a boatload of goals at an absurdly sustainable rate. So, like, we can't even be like, oh, this is a hot streak. It's going to die out. And then he just, like, has a smile on his face and just laughs it up with his teammates. I I think it was Suede who tweeted about it uh, maybe Saturday. Watched the interview with him and was just like, he's just like a totally normal dude where he's just like, yeah, I'm also nervous and anxious and awkward about things. (laughs) Yeah. To be fair, like, he might be a robot. Uh, we can't rule that out. But other than that, it's like he's not he's just not a villain. Yeah. I mean, and he's also just like. He's just so fun to watch in a way that like, I mean, a lot of people have praised Manchester City for the football that they play, especially under Pep Guardiola. But for me, a lot of the time it has been a little bit bland because you can just kind of expect them to pass it around a lot and then play a simple ball across for a tap in. Erling Holland makes them one of the most entertaining football teams on the planet, let alone one of the best football teams on the planet. I mean, he, he even, you know, some of these goals, I mean, they scored six goals against Manchester United. They destroyed their defense. It was an awful performance from United, but some of those goals were insane. He's just like this huge, he's like a Kevin Durant player almost where he's like, Obviously got like a seven foot guard. Yeah. Who has the best (laughs) ball handling skills. (laughs) And yeah, he's, he's just an insane talent. He's, he seems like he's becoming, he has, he has no ego. 
Like, it's yeah. not the Erling. I mean, it is the Erling Holland show, but it's not the Erling Holland show because Erling Holland is walking around being like, hey, get your tickets. You know, Manchester United is the next team to get destroyed, but to run into Erling Holland, there's nothing. He doesn't speak. He doesn't. He's not out there. He's not flamboyant. Yeah. He literally just goes, plays football at a ridiculously high level and then walks off the field, goes home and probably plays video games. Yeah, <laughs> probably like just plays FIFA and watches anime or something like like, uh, and like he, that's, that's part of it too. Cause he's only what? 21, 22. He's still like, and, and, yeah, young... but also like, it's not even like the ego. It's, um, I'm about, let me fact check this before I go. But, uh, yeah, like I get, yeah, he, he tweets some PR stuff. So like he clearly has a PR team that's, right. that's doing this, but it's, it, there's no, it's only PR. There's no, he has not tweeted. He first of all, he follows eight accounts, which is down from like the twenty. Oh, he doesn't follow. Uh, he doesn't follow Trump and like that whole area anymore. Well, that's nice. He, he follows Percy Dortmund, his father, Manchester City, the Bundesliga in English, Mino Raiola, Percy Dortmund in German. Uh, I this is a and a couple of I guess Norwegian clubs. And that's it. So like his. It, there's not even like any personal tweets or anything. It's literally just only PR tweets. Like he's not even so basically, he's not even on social media to to right be both to be him. He's not he's there to be himself. Someone it, he literally yeah. goes home and plays video games, and somebody else is sending off that tweet. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like the world would be better <laughs> if we could just hate fandom. <laughs> football, for, yes, yeah. My life would be better if, like, this guy gave me a legitimate reason to despise him other than the fact that he is really good and he plays for the team that I really don't like. Um, but football, in general, would probably be more fun to watch and support if more players were like Erling Holland, if they just, you know, went out, played football, went home, and... And did this, but like then again, also ego is good for the game, and ego is also how you get to this level, which is it's just. But also, like, how did you? Cr- how did they? Cr- first, can we just get like, like, can we pay Erling Holland's mother to let, I don't like some like to just use Erling uh, Alf Alf Ang Holland as like a a sire, the way that they do like in for animals, like just let him impregnate more people and hopefully pass on his genes so that we could get something <laughs> this is just he grown in a lab <laughs> was not this unbelievable player how did he no he was very like he, he had a very like average to good premier league career for himself and he was decent for a not great norwegian national team i i don't I, his, mother, his mother's an olympian though isn't she Maybe I get. I, I really don't, don't know that much about I'm not, it. Not, not not trying to say you're wrong. I just I don't know. But like, how did he sire like the most lab created, perfect specimen of footballer that you well, can? Well, who was his manager in uh, Norway? <laughs> was he a Christiansen or something? Oh, Alf Holland. Yeah, or no, um, Erling Holland, or was he at Molda? He was at Molda. Oh, okay. His manager was Solskjaer. Ah, well, there you go. Uh, there's your answer. Um, all right. So let, let's get into the game a little bit. Um, you wanted to talk about potential tactical shortcomings. Were there Was it tactical shortcomings that cost United this match entirely, or was this just Manchester City being way too good for them? No, there's nothing that cost them the match entirely, other than Manchester City are really, really good. Mm-hmm. And- you, and United are are not so good, and their underlings go and show that they're like mid table. I think they came in like tenth in in uh, xG goal difference uh, coming into the coming into the game. And if you think like the Brentford match skews that, it it doesn't because like the numbers were very normal. Obviously, early in the season, a lot of fluctuations, still pretty noisy. The players were bad. Manchester City were. Good. They had a good plan. Uh, your microphone's going a little bit. That's weird. What about now? That's better. So, City had a good plan. They 
when when United did have the ball, when when they basically when they let United have the ball, they were able to just be like, huh, I bet you you guys are going to run everything through Christian Eriksen and then Bruno Fernandez, and they just didn't let the ball go to them. They funneled. They did what everybody has been doing for the last three years: just replace Paul Pogba with Christian Eriksen. But it was, hey, let's just funnel the ball to the guys that aren't as good, and we're going to say you guys beat us. And they really struggled. I thought United were were pressing a bit, in in not in the sense of like defensive pressing, but in the sense of like when they did get the ball, they were they were so amped up, sort of that they were like that they over. It was like they knew that they thought that that was going to be their last chance of the game. Whenever yeah, they got it was like we have to be perfect here, and they were it was ambitious. They were playing long, but like, and they were they were. You know, the touch was a little bit too poor, almost like they were thinking too much about it. So the touch was heavy, this and that. Uh, they just didn't they didn't look loose or relaxed at all. It looked like they were everything was running through their head that that if you've played sports, you know that this has happened before where you just you're so up for a game and you're like, can, but like you're sort of convincing yourself that you're up for the game, that that just things just go wrong. And then you you over try on the next one and it, and it continues to go wrong. You could tell that their tactics were to try to hit them on the break, which is why every pass was very over uh, ambitious and city were ready. For they have a goalkeeper that comes in and this box and they were like, yeah, no, go for it. And if you, if you think back to the games that United have beaten city, their goals have not come from big ambitious balls. It's been, Pass through them and take advantage of space. If you go all the way back to, or coming on Sepius, if you go all the way back to 2019-20, like they scored on a penalty, they scored on a good counterattack that was they passed through the lines. Then in the League Cup, the Monumentic scored on a set piece. In the next match, Martial scored on a set piece. Uh, the following season, it was a penalty, and then Luke Shaw carried the ball the entire length of the pitch. So it wasn't over ambitious passes, and that's what they were they were trying to do. So we have City were really good. United individually were bad. But again, like tactically, it didn't look like Eric Ten Hag put them in a good position, in a position where they could be their best, where they could win. And more importantly, when things weren't working, which was very apparent right away, he didn't change anything. He didn't seem to have any answer. Yeah. Um, real quick, you may want to check that your Yeti microphone is the one that is set to be used because your voice is kind of like going in and out. Um, but yeah, I I agree. I, I think particularly the long passes early on, it felt like every single one United played, it was just hanging there begging to be picked off. It, it didn't seem like anyone was really on the same page for a lot of the time. Um, and uh, tactically, it kind of seemed like Tenog was maybe going about this business as usual with, you know, not just keeping the same 11 again that we've seen basically since they beat Liverpool, but it didn't seem like they were accounting for things defensively that you absolutely have to do when you play against Manchester city. Yeah. How's this by the way? Better. Yeah. It's a little bit better. How about now? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, there was, first of all, like, there's concern here because this was the second time in seven Premier League games that Eric Tenog was completely done in tactically. And it started when the team sheets came out. And you were like, that should have raised a million red flags when you went, wait a minute. Pep Guardiola isn't starting any of his top center backs. Like, why are, why are the defensive ones? The ones who are good, uh, like Diaz and Americo Port, yeah. on the bench, and he's going with Nathan Ake and Akanji, the the ones who are good in possession. And oh, by the way, your defensive, your best defensive midfielder, Rodri, who I think was unavailable and injured, but he's not there. Your backup in Calvin Phillips, he's not there. You're going with Okai Gundogan, who is not a defensive midfielder. And it's like this seems like. If this is anybody other than Pep, you'd be like, this seems like suicide. And it, instead, it seems <laughs> like uh, Pep's probably up to something. And yeah. United, just right from the get-go, 
they looked like last year's Solskjaer team where it was like, we're not pressing high, but our forwards are pushing all the way up and our defenders are all the way back and there's a lot of space in between them. And, you know, what one what the forwards are doing doesn't match what the defenders are doing, what the defenders are doing doesn't match. And they, they weren't pressing them, but like Rashford was trying to like go and force... Uh, yeah, you're just totally quiet now. I can't hear what you're saying. <laughs> nope. <laughs> better, better. What is, what is going on? Better, worse. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. All right, we're we're trying every different setting here. So yeah, city right. just city were just like walking the ball forward and. Beyond that, it was hard to tell how United were defending. It looked like they were sort of playing in a man-marking system. Sancho, Anthony sort of looked like they had men. McTominay was following around Gundogan constantly. Donald seemed like he was matched up against Grealish, but then Christian Eriksen was just out in the middle of space. And yeah. Once they bypassed Marcus Rashford, it was just like, oh, I could keep walking because everybody else is picking up a man. And they just made it so easy for them and there was no adjustment at all throughout the match to be like hmm, maybe we should stop doing this yeah you and casey i think were on it pretty early on twitter but i, I saw a few others talking about it as well where this is kind of the uh, somebody said this is kind of the give and take when it comes to christian erickson because he's not going to be that reliable defensively and this is a game where you need your midfielders to be on it because your fullbacks are going to get swamped if Manchester City see an opening. And in the very first minute, they kind of got one from Diogo Dolo. He gets a yellow card. Um, and it he gets a yellow card after it kind of seemed like United were showing how aggressive they were going to try and be in the match. They, were gonna, they weren't really going to be afraid of going in on tackles on City players. And, you know, Michael Oliver got on them quickly and... It made Dallow a little bit more vulnerable, and for the next 20, 30 minutes or so, that right-hand side on Manchester United just looked absolutely swamped. Um, McTominay was having to come in and help Dallow constantly, which led to even more you know, miscommunications and mishaps, and they were able to penetrate, and Rafael Varane had one of his worst games even before he got hurt and tried to play on one leg for, what, five to ten minutes before they scored that third goal, and it... it it just seemed like the entire defensive game plan from the start was a total failure. <laughs> like not, not saying that they were going to go in like a Jose Mourinho United team against Eden Hazard and just like run into them whenever they got the chance, but it looked like they were going to try and, you know, assert themselves physically a little bit early and it just backfired. I, I will say the, uh, that yellow card on, on Dell was a fantastic play by Grealish to get himself open. Uh, like usually when you see, Usually the reason that pressing on the corners on the fullbacks works like that is because there's nowhere to go but up the pitch, but like straight up the pitch. And you go to your mm-hmm. winger who now has his back to goal and it's easy to trap him. And Grealish, before the ball even goes to the fullback, did this really good job of tucking inside and coming inside so that now when the ball got to um, Jal Cancelo, he was able to loop around and make a run towards the touchline and that got him in a in a way that he could receive the ball running at Deloitte and Deloitte just and also Jack Grealish is the best player at drawing fouls in the mm-hmm. league and you're going to do that Grealish is going to sell it well you're probably going to get booked it, it was a yellow card challenge you could you can say 90 seconds into the match into a derby should you get a yellow but it was a yellow card challenge right and yeah, that changed the game completely, but there was no answer. There was no way of helping the fullbacks here. There was there was nothing of the sort. And yeah, on that first goal, Christian Eriksen just doesn't follow. Um, he doesn't follow Phil Foden. He's wide open. He scores. That's his man. And yeah, like you said, that's the give and take of Christian Eriksen. The same way that there's give and take when you put any good passer in that position because you need passers there but to, to blame the like all game long there were plenty of people everybody was there was a situation early on 
right before the first goal, actually, where United forced a turnover from the press and Sancho tried to beat the center back on his first touch and he didn't. And Akanji just took the ball and went straight up the pitch, but then gave it up and no one followed him. And then it was a simple pass back to Akanji in acres of space because nobody followed the run in the second half, right before Holland's third goal. The same thing happened of just, they gave up the ball. No one followed, no one followed the run. And, and on the, on Holland's goal, you get this scenario where Grealish is running at Deloitte. The overlap comes from Gomez and Grealish starts to go, uh, Deloitte starts to go with the overlap, but then Grealish gives up the ball, and Casemiro stops following Grealish now. Grealish passes and then runs, and Casemiro just lets him go. So instead of going with the overlap, now Deloitte goes back to Grealish. The ball goes out wide to Gomez. There's nobody there to pick him up, and he gets an easy cross in to Holland to score. So no one was picking up runners. Every It was just it was bad everywhere. And that's the thing is City are much better and United still just made it real easy for them. Yeah, I think people were mentioning that maybe one of the hopes of Holland at City would be that it would take some time to adjust to playing with him because suddenly there's this focal point of City's attack and that's absolutely not the case. They're just, uh, they're the Death Star now. Um, So yeah, the... This is a Manchester United team that is still figuring it out and a Manchester City team that seemed to have finally figured everything out when it comes to their ambitions under Pep Guardiola. Um, I mean, not to go big picture all of a sudden again, but if they don't win the Champions League with this team, that really is an indictment because... And this team might win everything. It's it's going to take an injury and bad bounces and just a lot of craziness to, to stop them. And maybe UEFA doesn't want them to win the Champions League because, you know, they're new money and UEFA really likes their old money. So maybe you get some shoddy refereeing later down in the <laughs> tournament and that keeps them out of it. But Or some uh, interesting draws early, like, I don't know, Bayern Munich in round of 16 or something. Not yeah, that and, Bayern Munich is going to finish second. And you might third. lose Bayern Munich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, really what they should do is uh, put them on the same side of the bracket as Real Madrid again. Right. Yeah, just get football heritage in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, this is this is easily one of the best teams to ever be assembled. And I'm sure there are like United fans on Twitter. They'll be like, how could you ever say that? They didn't win a treble. And it's like, well, they haven't won it yet. And maybe they yeah. won't. But like, <laughs> maybe they won't. Maybe they won't, but I like also the 2008 team was a better team than the 99 team. That's yeah. <laughs> you, you could maybe even say the 2007 team was the the one that didn't win the the trouble. Yeah, that team. But, was, yeah. That team was like they just they lost Ferdinand and Vidic like, in April. So, um, what did you think about what Tenog said at the end of this match? He came out and said, "What did he blame it on? That the he didn't say I'm the surprised. Effort. I'm surprised why we didn't bring it on the pitch. I've seen a different team spirit, and we did not look convinced. I have to talk to the players and find out why." He's, he's, uh, he mentioned belief. That's what it was, right? Yeah, it basically, so we, became like a mentality conversation. It's like, yeah, this, there, yeah, there was. It's quite simple. It's a lack of belief. When you don't believe on the pitch, then you can't win games. That is unacceptable. We get undisciplined at following rules, and you get hammered. That's what happened today. I wonder how that goes over in the dressing room. Because if I were a player, that would not go over well with me. There is, whether it's right or not, um, what was it? Was it? I think it was, it was either Vince Lombardi or it was Tom Landry who said when, when the team wins – it's because the players went out and executed and played really well. And when the team loses, it's because the coach wasn't good enough. And that is the mantra that I believe in and how a coach needs to handle himself publicly is when you lose a game like this, the coach needs to come out and be like, we, you know, this is on me. This, I didn't give, I didn't put the players in, 
in the right in the right positions to execute a game plan, et cetera, et cetera. And then you can show up to work the next day, walk into a meeting, and absolutely single out Diogo Dolo and say, why the hell are you not picking up your man here? Why are you letting Jack Rios run free? Why are you 25 yards away from him? Bruno, why are you doing this? Etc. You can rip them apart privately. You can rip them apart one-on-one. You can rip them apart in front of the team. You can do whatever the hell you want. Publicly, you have, you have to own it. And you can't throw your players on. You can't blame the players. And that's something that there are other managers that do. And that's part of why they have a very short shelf life in places. Because the players don't like that. And Yeah, they win, but it's a, it's a short shelf life. And you're selling Eric Tenog as we are hiring this guy with a long-term vision. You can't lose the players early on. Um, even if what he said was right. And maybe it was. But that doesn't mean you can go out there and say it publicly. And that's going to be an interesting one. And I think he said something similar after the Brentford match. He but, did. And then and then he that, went and, and said, we're running, mobile, we're running. We're running. And run I'm going to run with yeah. you. So he did take ownership with it. Now, it's interesting how that leaked to the press. Like, what other, what other training session do we have? Do we know what they did this season? Here, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. But, I mean, like, just look at what leaked to the press. Oh, they did a huge PR drop today. Like October 1st. Yeah, it was like two days before the match where it was just like, these are the individuals who have bought in and they stick with the manager and blah, blah, blah. And this is the culture that he's trying to build. And he's very detail oriented and he's unforgiving of profession, unprofessionalism and sloppiness and lack of effort. And like. It, you can almost predict it now when there's going to be these sort of news drops with like vague sources about what's going on behind the scenes and in the dressing room. There's just this this effort to build up Eric Ten Hag, and it, it was the same way with Solskjaer. Um, but it, it, there's this effort to build him up as the kind of person that the fans want to see and read about. And that's really... I mean, I don't, I don't think you can call it news as much as you can just call it content at that point. And that, and to be fair, you know that's what all this is about. This, <laughs> this is. What do you think happened today? Yeah. Guess what happened today? It was there's a, a news story drops that says Ten Hag has gone to ownership and demanded that they stop handing out contracts, new contracts yeah. unless he signs off on it. And in the original tweet by James Drucker, he even said this is not. In response to the Derby, like this is a pre-Derby decision. I'm like, oh, interesting that it's uh, dropping today. Information that they were sitting on or whatever. This information that is very much going to make fans react in the way of like, yeah, that's right. This is what we want our manager to do. Ten Hogs back and he's Ten Hogs rolling in here and he's establishing the right culture and establish, you know, all that. Interesting that on a day after you might really question, hey, um. We've been down 4-0 at halftime twice in seven games this year, something that had only happened once before in our history. Uh, it just never – there's been a bunch of games this year where we only start looking good where uh, when the other team really takes their foot off the gas. And instead it's, nope, let me drop this story about how he's saying stop giving out dumb contracts. Yeah, this – This is something that almost felt like it was out of context would just be regurgitated from what was reported, what, like two months ago when there was talk about Rashford's contract. It was just like it seemed pretty clear early on that he wanted to evaluate his squad more before he gave any sort of judgment on these sort of things, which makes sense because this has been something that has been discussed very openly since basically Solskjaer was sacked when it comes to the way that the club manages these sort of things and the club wanting to distance that, itself from what they perceive were all the issues with Ed Woodward. And those, those stories were August, right? Yes. It was like his last week, mid August, like right before the season when Rashford was linked with PSG. Right. And then last week 
when you're still recovering from like Rashford was left out of the England squad, it's the story drops that like Ten Hag went to management and right away said Marcus Rashford is untouchable. I want to make him a superstar here. He's going to be the focal point of my team. Right. But because uh, it's funny, I for some reason I just thought it's all, fun. it's all, for it. it's like, all funny, Colin. Yeah. Like last April when it was like Eric Ten Hag wants to work with Scott McTominay and turn him into the midfielder he can be or whatever. It's. It's funny now because McTominay has kept starting these games, and he's played well in some of them. Um, but yesterday, a match that I thought McTominay might actually be up for, because usually it is these big matches that he's up for. Um, I thought he was, you know, almost unserviceable at times. And not all of it was his fault, because well, they picked every, on he was overwhelmed picked- along with everyone else. But yeah, it was... They, City picked on him last year, twice. In the game at Old Trafford, when they were just 2-0 up and they were just toying with us, they they literally just went, here, Scott, you take the ball, you beat us. And he, and he like, couldn't do it. And then in the game at the Etihad, they, they targeted him when they had the ball. And they did the same thing. They they picked on him and they forced the ball to him. A, a very telling stat from this match is... Look at the number of I'm gonna hear the number of touches that certain players made. Bruno Fernandez had 49. Christian Eriksen had 45. Scott McTominay had 37. That's not a big difference. Eriksen had what? Eight more. Christian Eriksen played 90 minutes. Scott McTominay played 58. Yeah. That that was they were keeping the ball away from Eriksen and and Bruno and being like, here Scott, you have it. And it was it was instances where they did actually get the ball forward. You would see Sancho and Rashford would have time to receive and turn and immediately would have to play to somebody else. But by then, it's them and somebody else are the only ones forward because City are on them. They get the ball back and you can't really afford to have all your players forward after that point. And it's not just McTominay, but in these situations, uh, kind of going back to, you know, just the lack of focus, not I wouldn't say lack of effort from the other players, just lack of focus more so. These situations where you have to make something happen and you're, it's in your mind, you have to make something happen. This is when we have to make something happen. And it's still just like the 15th minute and you already look like you're down three now. Yeah, but part of that goes back to like to how they're tactically playing in that. Yeah. um Against Liverpool, their two goals came from Jin Sancho got all the way back defensively and started the a counterattack himself. And it wasn't they got the ball all the way down the pitch and then they they got it around the, the box and that's when they got their midfielders and defender and fullbacks up and were able to like play with it a little bit. The second goal came from Veron cleared the ball to a Liverpool player. He took a bad touch and it bounced right to Martial. It was all about winning second balls and and bounces going your way that basically it was the same thing. It was when the ball felt like when they finally won the ball back and it fell to Bruno or it fell to someone. It was, what do I do with it? Well, like we don't have really have a plan of like hold the ball here and wait for Erickson to get open and get on it and, and give it to him. And then he'll ping a pass somewhere. It was, well, let's just someone make a run and I'm going to try to pick you out. It, it didn't look like there was any plan beyond that. And because you you could say like oh Bruno's doesn't fit this Tenox style because that's how Bruno plays of always doing the hero ball and it's like how can you keep possession if Bruno's going to constantly do it but it wasn't just Bruno it was everybody which is if it's if it's everyone then that means that's Erickson either what they're was instructed those kind of passes that were just begging to get picked off like yeah it, you know. it it's it's either if if it's everybody then it's either that's what they were instructed to do or they they weren't instructed to do anything else yeah. So is this is this a concerning result that we should maybe overreact to a little bit, not just for the players, but from Tenog's approach to this game? Because, like we said, this is the same eleven and seemingly the same setup that we've seen pretty much every match since Liverpool. I don't think it's an over. I don't think I don't think you should overreact to this loss in that you lost to Manchester City. I do think this was. I don't think this is a wake-up call either, because I, maybe, or maybe it is a wake-up call, because I think that the those four games, 
the four wins were a huge smokescreen in that they weren't that much better than Liverpool. They weren't that great. Against, oh, uh, Liverpool ha- were terrible that day, and they have been awful that this season. Like, if you did what they did to Liverpool last year, the year before, the year before, Liverpool wins that game quite easily. Arsenal, a more clinical Arsenal team, wins that match. They weren't unbelievable. They hit them on, they, they got the break that they needed, and they hit them on, on counter. Like, Arsenal allowed them to play to their strength. They weren't that good against Southampton. They weren't that good against Leicester. They're, like I said, their underlying numbers are not good. And that's usually the test here. And it's it, like, it's funny that you don't hear people talking about it now. You you used to hear it. And you heard it last winter when there were people who were big fans of Ralph Ragnick being like, you just give it time because the underlying numbers have already improved significantly. And, and it's going to get better. And it, well, it never did. Doesn't, the, doesn't that also say something about <laughs> underlying numbers? The, the underlying numbers are pretty true. Well, they, they were never good. They got better under Ragnar. And the team got better, too. They they stopped losing. They started drawing and winning a few games. Um, but ultimately, like, the underlying numbers were never good enough to suggest, like, hey, they're going to go on a winning run. And they didn't. And um, the underlying numbers this year are, are not good. They're they're mid table and that's what United looked like. They they've looked like a they looked like a mid table side and that's the the macro where to where to be concerned right now is at the macro level. They've been 4-0 down at halftime twice. There have been two games where Eric Ten Hag has been completely done in tactically. Not the same games. He was done in by Eric, by uh, Graham Potter against Brighton and he was done in against City. The the Brentford match he didn't give the team, he didn't make adjustments in that match, but I wouldn't say that it was a, I wouldn't say he was tactically outclassed. They, Brentford just scored on four completely different, different goals. The concern there, there's concern. I think it'll get better. hundred percent. It'll get better. He's got good players that he's got to integrate into the team, but he has yet to make any in-game adjustments when things aren't going well. He seems to take a lot of stock into he, – he took a lot of stock out of that second half against Brighton. Brighton took their foot off the gas, and they let United play. And he took a lot of stock out of that match against Brentford when Brentford stopped playing with a 4-0 lead. And he seems – he was already talking very positively about the second half against City where it's like United didn't do anything until Grealish and De Bruyne and – Kunduan all came off the pitch with 15 minutes to go. And that's what you're going to take stock in. That That's a little concerning. Yeah, I, I will say, though, um, of his post-match comments, it was really funny, the excuse he gave for not playing Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. It, it, Basically just like a fan service response. Like, oh, I didn't want to do that to his career. <laughs> I mean, it, it goes back to like what you were saying uh, before where you were like, the the reports that oh I really want to work with Scott McTominay and and everything it's like he's doing exactly what a manager should do and that is not criticizing any of his players so like why didn't you put on Ronaldo he's not going to go up there and say well I didn't think Ronaldo would give us any chance of scoring I didn't think that Ronaldo was going to do anything um, very well it, it's um oh I didn't put him on out of respect for his his big career or, or even he, he didn't even go with, I wanted to see what Anthony Martial looks like at striker because he is my top guy. He didn't even say that. It's right. just, it's the same way that Solskjaer never threw a player under the bus. He always talked up a player. If a player stunk, he would still talk about his, his big qualities. And he does. And Ten Hag does the same thing with Harry Maguire. All he does is talk about how good he thinks Harry Maguire is. Um, and then what does he do? He doesn't play him. Uh, now Maguire's injured right now, but he he talked him up right after the Liverpool game and still did not play him. Solskjaer's talked up players and then sold them. Like and everybody just reacts to it, like how could he say that? It's it, you know this is what managers have to do, and this is why what I say like you've got to own something after the game too. Like don't throw your players on the bus because you're doing everything else to protect them. You're talking up all the other players. And then you're going out there and saying we got to spend 60 million on a midfielder because the ones we have are not good enough. You got to watch the actions rather than like harp on the words. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and you know, 
kind of along the same lines we were talking about earlier, there's already news about, oh, well, Eric Tenog is now willing to sell Ronaldo. Like, he wasn't before, but there were just no offers coming in. <laughs> right, right. Roy Keane being like, United are treating him like crap. They should have sold him. And it's like, Roy, Ronaldo's <laughs> agent went to every single Champions League club and tried to get a deal. Like, if had had... And Ronaldo's agent come back with an offer, and trust me, Jorge Mendez would have put it in the media if there was an offer because he would have had it launched a full offensive to pressure the club into selling him. That's what Jorge Mendez does. So if he would have come to the United with an offer, said this team is willing to pay X amount for whatever, sell Ronaldo. Can you please sell Cristiano Ronaldo? And United didn't. Then we could talk about why didn't United do that and did they mistreat him? Mendez never brought to them an offer because he never got one. So, like, how do you sell? This is the question that every that I've always said. Because why didn't when everybody was they should have sold Pogba three years ago? Well, how do you sell someone when no one's buying? Yeah. Well, let, let's. Um, I mean, I'm certainly hopeful that you know maybe he has a good World Cup and someone bites the bullet in January like we did uh, last August, but. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold my breath on that one, or not gonna hold my breath on that one. The so chance you have of like this becoming even somewhat salvageable is if he accepts that Saudi Arabia offer and you get a and you get a transfer fee for him because if you don't dog. forty if, million for Ronaldo at this point that would be like, something. If you don't, he's his contract's gonna expire at the end of the year. And, like, let's say United don't trigger the extension. They're not going to – they're losing – so they're hemorrhaging money right now. They're not going to go and, and be like, oh, uh, $25 million of Ronaldo's wages are off the books now. We can now spend that $25 but No, they're going to be like, let's spend, like, $7 million of that, and, like, we need to recoup a lot of money yeah. here. They're like, what 35-year-old forwards can we get on a free transfer? <laughs> right, for much, much less money because – we were at our maximum amount that we could spend, and then we added Ronaldo in the hopes of, like, we would bring all this money back in, and that's not what happened. Maybe we can bring back Odia Nagallo on loan in January for a Europa League run. Maybe. <laughs> um, maybe all right. Or maybe we could try to sign some other young Scandinavian striker and then watch him, like, go to Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> Who else is 18 years old and six foot five in the Norwegian leagues right now? Like <laughs> at Salzburg, would they like try to get, and then they didn't. Yeah, uh, what Sheshko or whatever. Um, yeah, something like that. Who knows what happens to him? Like that's the whole thing about. Remember last week on the podcast we were talking about uh, where Nathan brought up Dan James, and I'm like, you know, Tyrell Malasia. At this point in Dan James's career, he had three goals and one assist. Yeah. And Tyra Malasia, like, there's no guarantee that he'll continue to do this. I hope he does, and I think he's a good signing. But, like, then he goes out and has an absolute stinker against City. Yeah. You just don't know. And also, you know, um, uh, I mean, just from the Luke Shaw fan club here, he looked pretty good coming off the bench. I mean, he, you know, they still conceded goals while he was on the pitch, but uh, he had that one pass forward that led to the Martial goal. He's... That's they need to figure out how to combine Shaw and Malasia because the issue with Shaw is like Malasia has the defensive tenacity that Shaw just doesn't have. Shaw's so much better on the ball and so much better going forward. Yeah, can they do like a uh, maybe that's the the final like back three piece of you know, play Malasia as like the left center back and then, or Shaw. Like, or, yeah, and then somebody has the wing back, and you just have them alternate who goes forward or whatever, and who does the defending. Right. I mean, yeah. I actually thought about this. I was going to talk to Suede about it before the City match, but then I was just like, uh, you can't figure out where else everybody else is going to fit in this yeah. team with a back three. But, like, they probably need a back three, but then yeah. someone's but then missing out. I'm like, <laughs> center back depth, and also, like, I don't think Martial really fits like a back three, and you don't really have strikers, and, like, do Sancho and Anthony... Jaden Sancho is an interesting one because yeah, I mean, they could potentially do a front two with like Sancho and either Rashford or Martial. Sancho's the interesting one though because despite his struggles, he's still putting up numbers. Mm -hmm. And, and he's, was, had a, 
he's had an okay season despite he's his- awful let's he was awful on on sunday but like yes then again, everyone so, was awful so <laughs> was anthony was anthony was also awful he was just yeah, but he he was smart the, enough to score a goal he was the only uh, starter i did not give a one uh just because he scored a goal <laughs> right he was smart it, like i said anthony was smart enough i said this at the bar today i was like anthony was smart to score a goal on his debut because it's bought him a lot of time because he was terrible in the Europa League. I mean, and look how much time it bought Donny van de Beek with the fans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, but the thing about Sancho is, like, he's still putting up numbers to, in in the sense of what you want to see him. He's still getting the ball in the box. He's still creating shots. He needs, he is so much better when he's got an overlapping fullback. And Ten Hag kind of wants his fullbacks tucking inside and playing as central midfielders. That it's like, like we saw it in the preseason. Like, hey, here's Diogo Dalot overlapping. Boom, goal. Like, we've seen it with Malassi a little bit. But it's like, they're not really doing that. And it's just like, well, that's not going to get the best out of Jaden Sancho. And, and it becomes a genuine question to ask, where does he fit in this whole thing? And is it all going to work? Yeah. Which is really worrying because, like, that was the dream for so long. But, and and he was Marcus Rashford's not going to be any better on the left wing. <laughs> no. But uh, unless, you know, you have Shaw there, possibly. Well, unless unless you're playing a team where there's room to run in behind. Like, but when you're when you're piling down with the with a little block, like, you know, having Rashford and and Shaw. And the thing the thing that what we need to start seeing out of Anthony is you got to is will he start making the pass um or will he just put it on his left foot and take everybody on and shoot because right on his goal like bruno made this great run into space yeah. into the box and the pass was there there was space for it and he didn't make it and it's fine because he hit a banger it was interesting though because a f- uh, a few minutes later in what was more atrocious defending uh the ball goes to Erling Holland, who took like a Josie Altador touch and turn, maybe like a Romelu Kaku touch, like certainly a late career Wayne Rooney touch. Like it was an atrocious touch. It went like five yards away from him and he still managed to turn and no one got near him. And they let him turn and suddenly start running at United's defenders. I'm like, it was the entire back four was right there standing in a line. And they all just ignored Phil Foden, who just squeezed right there. And like, what did Holland do? He just slipped the pass. And like, that was the most, I thought that was the most impressive thing Holland did yesterday was when he had the awareness to just slip that pass into Phil Foden and let him score. Yeah, that that's kind of what we were alluding to last week when we talked about him is that there's all these other things, other parts of his game that he is phenomenal at that he hasn't really had to show yet. Right. Like and and there that was that play sort of highlighted the the concern about United's defense that I have going forward um because it it's it's Lissandro Martinez was picking up Foden and then he just left him and that the problem with that was is that's fine because you can't follow Foden all all over but you have to pass him off to a teammate and he doesn't do that and it it brought up the communication issue in my head like we always talked about it of why did Eric Bailly not play so much under Solskjaer and Solskjaer didn't like the fact that he was very quiet he didn't talk and he really liked the fact that Lindelof was very vocal on the pitch especially towards Harry Maguire he would Lindelof would basically be Harry Maguire's eyes, which meant Maguire didn't need to look around. He didn't need to worry about things. Lindelof was telling him what was going on. He could just focus on defending, simplify the game for him. Very good. And that's what Eric Ten Hag keeps talking about with Rafael Varane is the last two games that, that they've played. And when he's been full of praise for Varane, he keeps being like, he's, he organizes everything. He shouts, he tells people where they need to be. He's very loud. He's communicative. So that's not Martinez. That's not Maguire. They're cut from the same cloth in that way. Martinez doesn't speak English. So like their their partnership in that game against Brighton where Maguire even said so afterwards, he was like, well, we got to learn how to play with each other. And you could see there were communication issues. That first goal comes because a runner comes right across Martinez and he just leaves him. It's beyond Maguire. Maguire doesn't know he's there. Someone's got to tell him and no one does. 
that's Martinez's job and he just doesn't do it. It's like if you're either if you're you either stay with the runner or you pass him off to a teammate and it, it's like how are Maguire and um Martinez expected to work if if they're not going to be talking to each other and maybe they won't. But like is Lindelof the right guy to partner Martinez too? He he'll at least be vocal. But is that the right partnership you want? They weren't particularly great yesterday in the 45 minutes that they played. And like, and it's, it's situations like that again, where it's Martinez, you leave your man, you got to tell someone. Yeah. And also, I mean, not to bring up height stuff and aerial duels again, but Lindelof isn't the best partner to accommodate. Right. <laughs> that. Right. Um, all right. Um, I think we're going to wrap this episode up here. Um, thanks for listening. We're going to have two episodes potentially this week. Um, Nathan is going to be back on Thursday. Uh, so we're going to try and record after the Europa League tie. They play. Um, was it Ammonia Nicosia? Is that who it's a match in Cyprus where it's like interesting because you kind of have to start Anthony Martial to get a match yeah. fit. You kind of need to start your strongest 11 too, because you do need to win this game. Yeah. But also like, uh, do you like the idea of like, Oh, Ronaldo's out playing in Cyprus is hilarious, but also equally hilarious would be like, Ronaldo can't even start Europa league matches now. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like that we have to win this. You can't just, throw Ronaldo out there because the last time you did, I mean, you got a penalty goal, but other than that, it was not exactly good football to watch. And it wasn't really, you know, overpowering football against a team you should be overpowering. So, right. And like, that's why, that's why I said like those four wins, big smoke screen, because they weren't playing like they, it, the city games, a wake up call, but like, had they played the way they played against Southampton, Leicester, Sociedad, Against Crystal Palace, they're probably not beating Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace are a good side. And we probably would have had our wake-up call earlier. Instead, it's a six-goal drumming. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll see you then. uh, And thanks for listening.